Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Now we're recording it on our soundboard, so this will be available tomorrow morning. To be listened to, I am Jesse Cohen. We are here at Toyota Sports Performance Center on Sunday July 9th, it is day four of 2023 LA Kings Development Camp. Joining me in our podcast studio, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, I am doing great. So you uh, put a call out to Twitter to have people submit questions. So we're going to run through a bunch of the questions we got. If you're listening live and you're on uh, your smartphone or smart device, you can request to be a speaker. If you have a question, we'll go ahead. And uh, bring you in to ask your question. Otherwise, I think we're just going to start knocking out these questions. That we got we a received. lot. Yeah, we got a lot. Way more than I actually anticipated. So we're just going to go in chronological order of having received them on Twitter. The first question is from Joe Fife. Out of all the young forwards, who has showed up the best for a shot at making the big club this season? And why is it Laferriere? Um, I'm going to give a preface to this answer and then I'll let you answer it. It's not a fun answer. It's not an exciting answer. But for me personally, the answer to this is nobody because that's not the purpose of development camp. That is correct. Um, but I also think I agree with Joe's observation. Okay. Um, but it's the answer that it would almost be more of a story if he wasn't a standout player mm-hmm. this week for me. Like LaFerrier is one of the most experienced guys here, played pro games last year, practiced with the Kings, two full NCAA seasons. He's now three years removed from his draft. He's should be excelling in this setting, and he is. He's been one of the most noticeable guys on the ice. You were correct, Jesse, in that this isn't really a competitive week. It's more of a personal improvement week. It's to give these guys a baseline, to give these guys some skills and some traits to, to take back with them. But there still are scrimmage settings. There still are competitive natures to the camp. And that's a player that it, clearly Joe has been watching. It's a guy who has stood out at the offensive end as being a higher-level player. For me, I guess it comes down to the fact that the players who have looked the best for me are the players that should look the best. You know, it's Brant Clark. It's exactly. It's Sammy Hellenius. It's, you know, LaFerriere. It's um, Cole Krieger, right? It's older guys, guys with more experience at mm-hmm. higher levels of competitive hockey. So, And I think that's what the, the development staff have kind of said, right? I yeah. think it was on day one, Sean O'Donnell said, the guys with pro experience stood out. And they should because they've played at a higher level. They've played against higher level players. And you want them to stand out when they're going down a step in competition. So it's it's a good sign that he is a standout player um, because he should be. And he's a guy who's going into this season with among the highest expectations professionally of players who are at this camp this week. So I'm going to take a real quick break out of this conversation. Is your phone turned all the way down? Because I swear I'm hearing something. But there's also conversations happening across the hallway from us. And I can't tell if it's... 
them or it's us? All, it's all the way down. Okay, all right, perfect. Then it's happening outside the room. Um, okay, so then the next question, um, and this sort of ties back into Joe's question. Yeah, there you go. Um, which is which players have a better chance to be in the starting roster, in our opinion, Bjornfoot versus uh, England, Jared Anderson Dolan versus Samuel Fogamo. The reason I'm linking it back to the other question is because the other question was actually who's showed up best with the best um, shot at making the big club this season. And that we're going to get into it more as we get to more questions, but a lot of that will just come down to the rest of the summer and training camp. For sure. You know, like Jared Anderson Dolan versus Samuel Fogamo. I, I don't know because I don't know if the roster is set. I don't know if they're going to make additional. There's not a lot of moves left to be made, but we've had private conversations about potential options they have um as it stands now i would say of bjornfoot england anderson dolan and fogamo i would say bjornfoot probably has the path of least resistance to a spot but that doesn't mean that he's got a better chance so i think that those i i took that question as like one versus one and one versus one obviously they're not really competing as a group um have to say that you probably see anderson dolan with the leg up because of his versatility Uh, the kings won't carry 14 forwards. So if you're carrying 13 forwards, you have to have a guy who can play both center and wing, which gives Anderson Dolan, say, the leg up over a guy like Sammy Fagimo, who only plays wing. Um, So if you're looking at a guy who might be your 13th forward, um, I look at an Anderson Dolan as a very good fit for that. But it's going to be a battle in camp. These are going to be some of the most exciting roster battles that we've had in the last couple of years um, because there is less spots available. And I think that's going to be something to watch out for in training camp. Bjornfoot England is very interesting because they're very, very different players. Um, England has that physicality. He's big. He's bruising. He's one of the NHL's leaders in hits over the last couple of years. Bjornfoot is a smooth skater. He's more of a puck mover, a two-way guy. England is a defensive defenseman. So it's going to kind of depend what the the Kings want in that spot. Um and then there's also not to mention, you know, there's a guy like Jordan Spence um, and Brant Clark on the other side of the ice battling. So it's going to be a very interesting battle. Um, you look at, you said Bjornfoot has maybe the path of least resistance. I can definitely understand that he is a, a lower cap hit. Um, but the Kings signed England for two years for a reason. Um, they see him as a guy who is an NHL player. He played, what, 50 games in the NHL last year. Much of that with Colorado. So, um, would not be surprised at all to see him on the opening night roster either. For, yeah, for me, it just comes down to, and it's a, it's arbitrary other than in my head, it just comes down to experience and specifically experience within the Kings system, right? So England, as you said, played, you know, uh, I can't remember how many games, 36 games for Colorado, 11 for Chicago. In his career, 80 games. He's slightly older than Bjornfoot. Um, actually significantly older than Bjornfoot. And Bjornfoot has more NHL games played. The staff is more familiar with him. They're both signed to two-year deals. So it's, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them made it. Or I both. guess. Yes, exactly. Because as of right now, I think we all have sort of agreed that they can carry 21 players under the cap. Um, it makes sense to me to make that extra player a defenseman if you had to choose. Generally speaking, seventh defensemen, I think, are left-handed shots just because there's more of them and they tend to be more versatile as far as switching sides. So, sorry, I don't think that's a great answer to that question. But What'll be interesting is to see, you know, we've never really seen 
England play? So we don't mm-hmm. know. Does he play the right side also? You know, can he play both sides of the ice? What's Bjornfoot's versatility? Can he play on the right side? What's Jordan Spence's versatility or Brant Clark's? Have they mm-hmm. ever played on the left side? So it's going to come down to a lot of that stuff. And we said it about Jad. His versatility makes him mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more valuable. Is there that same kind of player on the blue line who can play both sides of the ice, who can pinch hit on the back end? Because when you don't have that full complement of guys and maybe you're on the road for a few days, that versatility is going to be needed um, because injuries will happen. Players will get banged up. You're going to need people to step in um, at the drop of a pin, and you need a guy in that seventh spot who can do that. So the next uh, question, um, <laughs> I don't know if this one was serious, but I have seen these conversations. Was it the guy who said he wouldn't listen if you were on the call? No. Okay. No. That was my favorite comment. But, but I will say right now, <laughs> I wasn't going to address it, but I will. I actually have great sympathy for people who want to be Kings fans and who are not fans of mine because it would be a bummer. <laughs> there have been people involved in the Kings in, in previous incarnations that I wasn't a fan of, and I just had to, you know, suck it up and deal with it. So if you don't like me, I'm sorry. I, I have sympathy for you. <laughs> but no, the question and If you is, don't like Jesse, hit me up. We'll buy, yeah. I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> the question was, if Byfield fails to score 10 or more goals, will the Kings move on from him? Listen, anything's possible, but I'm going to say pretty strongly no. Um, and I've had conversations with people I know. And I know I've, you know, again, I've seen them on Twitter. I've seen them on message boards. I've heard them on various shows, but I don't care how many goals Quentin Byfield scores. I care how many goals Byfield and the other two players on his line score. You know, I was speaking to somebody who told me, well, if he doesn't have 15 goals and 35 assists, it's a, you know, it's a bad season. And I said, well, what if he's got 10 and 50? Right. You know, or what if he's got five and 75? Right, I'm not setting these numbers. You know, what then, if what if he has twelve and ten and thirty, but the line right? You know, but but Kempe scores fifty. Yeah, and and they don't allow any. Right, they're on. You know, their now, goals for percentage is eighty five percent or something. Move on is an interesting phrase too. Um, could they move on and look at someone else in that spot in the lineup? Sure. If the line isn't producing, right. including Quinton, then you you might look at other options. If the line is producing. And that's the best spot for the LA Kings to have him. He might stay there even if the goals aren't quite where people want them to be. And what's interesting is if you look at Byfield's overall production, assists per 60, the only player better than Quentin Byfield last year was Kevin Fiala, Mm -hmm. who was among the league leaders in assists per 60 at 5-on-5. So he was one of the best point producers from an assist standpoint last season on the Kings. He just didn't have the goals. So if even if he goes, if he scores 10 goals, that's what, seven more than he had last year. And if Kopitar and Kempe continue at their rates and that line controls the amount of goals that they did last year, even if he's not scoring 20, that's very productive and effective. And he's doing things clearly that are making that line better. Um, people have the highest of expectations for him because of where he was drafted. You have to look at the player that he is right now and where he fits into the LA Kings right now. And if he's doing a lot of those things well, I don't think there's any intention of moving on from Quentin Byfield. But I also want to drill down on the notion of moving on because one of the things I've seen is and heard in, you know, this is not all just random social media or message board rhetoric. These are conversations that I've had with people that work in the industry. And, you know, the idea that somehow there's a there's a clock, there's a countdown clock Mm -hmm. on whether or not a guy will ever live up to his potential. 
And I happen to be one of the people who believes that Quentin Byfield will. I feel like I've stated it enough times and enough ways. But even if I wasn't, right, just for the sake of argument, even if I felt like, ah, oh, he's a bust and, you know, he's not good enough or whatever, whatever, which, again, I clearly do not. Mm-hmm. Obeying the clock on that doesn't change where you, like, you don't benefit any by wiping your hands and saying, okay, player X is a bust and let's get out of the player X business as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. If you decide at the end of this year that Quentin Byfield won't live up to the expectations that you had for him when you drafted him second overall, you don't get a do-over right. by moving on from him. Like the Detroit Red Wings put Zadina on waivers. Nobody claimed him. Detroit doesn't pick up an extra pick out of this. <laughs> like, they didn't trade him yeah. for anything of value, so they just lost that player. Right. And yeah, you, you don't get to go back. That's for sure. And you know, Trevor Lewis is is sort of a perfect example of a guy drafted in the first round. I don't know what the expectations of him were when he was taken seventeenth overall, but had the decision been made three years into his career, well, he's not going to be a top line player. Let's quickly move on from him so we don't suffer the unknown penalty of having a player that doesn't live up to their potential. Like you wouldn't have had the asset that was Trevor Lewis for as many games as you did. Like, I, I, I just don't understand that particular approach. Once the players that, you know, we've heard coaches and scouts and, and members of the organization say time and time again, once a player is in, they're in. It doesn't matter where they were taken. So I, I, I just don't think that's reality. And I also expect him to score more than 10 goals. So there you go. Yeah. Um, next question. And this one, I saw some conversation about it. I didn't, necessarily hear it the same way that other people did the question was it seems like mike donnelly was a little bit maybe underwhelmed with jack hughes um in the past year this person i don't think necessarily heard it because they said maybe it's just twitter i definitely saw people interpreting what donnelly told us uh yesterday as being negative i didn't hear it that way in the moment i heard it a little bit that way okay um not like man, this guy sucks. Not Mm -hmm. at all. Um, Clearly the Kings have a lot of value in this player because he was a second round pick and he's very young. He's, he was one of the youngest players in the, in college hockey his first year. Um, Definitely did hear that a little bit, you know, maybe of a, not exactly where we'd like him to be in those Mm -hmm. areas. But I remember listening to Mike Donnelly speak last year about uh, Francesco Pinelli and saying the, he was speaking a year back, but saying like, the same things about Pinelli the year before. And then when he came back for, for camp the next year, it was night and day better. So I think it's, you know, you want to hear him say those things again about Jack Hughes in a year from now. And I, I talked to Jack Hughes the other day and he admitted it was kind of a tough year for him. He's, he's transferring out of Northeastern. He's going to Boston university um, said that there were some things that, you know, maybe didn't go according to plan for him. It was, it was a bit of a tough year for him. Um, so, He's looking for a fresh start. He's going to get one with a new program that, that he seems really excited to be joining. Um, and these kids are longer-term players. Uh, Mark Unetti said it when evaluating last season's draft class. These aren't the immediates. These are the the long-term vision kind of prospects. That was the theme of the 22 draft, which Hughes was the headliner of. So, yeah, I did hear a little bit of negativity in those comments. Maybe not disappointment, but just like uh, maybe motivational, if if that makes sense. That's fair. I, I guess for me, it just comes down to, again, these camps, development camps specifically, are educational more than anything else. So, you know. And it's a week. Yeah. You know, it's a week under different circumstances for each guy. 
um, your point at the beginning, it's not necessarily how player A looks against player B. It's how is player A improving? Mm. What is player A taking away? And how is player A taking these things and applying them in a real game this year? And if you, if the Kings are giving a player things and he's not taking them and he's not applying them to his game, and when they visit that player, he hasn't worked on it, that's when it's a problem. This is an instructional week and scrimmages are scrimmages. So if, if the Kings are giving Jack Hughes things and he's putting best efforts towards them and you see them in his game this year at BU, that's a successful week for Jack Hughes. The next question is complicated, I suppose, is the best word for it. Okay. Uh, it's a simple question with a complicated answer, I guess. It's how are the Kings going to be cap compliant on opening day? Well, so, their salaries will total less yes, than $83.5 exactly. million. Dollars. Uh, I, think it's, I think it would be instructive to, to get into what it means to be cap compliant because it doesn't – it's more complicated than it sounds. Mm-hmm. So for starters – Cap being cap compliant is tallied on a day to day basis. So every day, players, I think it's 256 days in a season. Do I have that number right? I'm I have just, no idea. It's somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't remember exactly what it is. But when a when a player contract is paid out and the cap hit is calculated, however many days there it's are, definitely less than that in an NHL season. Okay. It's you know one. Let's just call it 200 for ease okay. of conversation. Yeah. Every day, your cap hit goes up by one two hundredth for every guy on the roster. So Andre Kopitar's contract, one two hundredth. Drew Doughty's contract, one two hundredth. And that's added up. On top of that, though, you also have to be cap compliant on a daily basis with the sum of all of the contracts on your roster. So even if you're not, you know, even if one guy is there for a month or something and, you know, and you trade him away or you trade for him and, you know, at the end of the season, right, they talk about prorated contracts and everything. So Gavrikov comes over the trade deadline. Obviously, the Kings cap hit didn't include the previous four months of the season or whatever it is. But on any given day, if you added up all your contracts, it can't exceed $83.5 million this season. So it's – but in the offseason, you can go 10% over. So anyway, yeah. that's a long – Long setup, and the answer is with a roster of, and you tell me if there's any names you'd remove from this because it's not a full roster. With a roster of Byfield, Kopitar, Kempe, Fiala, Dubois, Kaliev, Moore, Deneau, Arvidsson, Grunstrom, Lazat, Lewis, Gavrikov, Roy, Anderson, Doughty, Clark, Copley, and Talbot. They have 1.8, well, almost $1.9 million in cap space. But that's five defensemen right? and no healthy scratches. And you have room to add two guys at league minimum. More or, than that. You yeah. Could, you could add pretty much any two other players. Right. You could, I, I didn't make a decision on uh, England or Bjornfoot or Muvrari for the sixth defense, for the third pair lefty. Um, and I didn't make a choice on healthy scratch. But you could comfortably add any any two names in the system. Correct. When you look at, at a 19... But only two. Skater roster, yes. Presently. So the answer is for right now, how will they be cap compliant on opening day? Barring any other changes to the roster, they'll have 20 skaters and one healthy scratch. Right. And that that's the easiest answer. Yeah. Uh, the, the early season schedule has the team at home to start the year, a short trip, and then more games at home. That can allow them to bank some of that additional cap space by keeping a smaller roster. Mm -hmm. The Kings also play in the same building as the Ontario rain practice in the same building. 
makes sending guys up and down easier. Um, we might see a lot of those paper transactions where a player goes down on an off day, comes back the next day type thing to save that day's worth of cap space. We also don't know what the next three months will hold. What happens when a player gets injured? What happens if there's a trade? What happens if someone else becomes available? Maybe someone gets claimed on waivers. Maybe the Kings want a player off waivers, triggers another move. Maybe there's a surprise cut, someone who goes down to Ontario that we're not expecting. All of these things can factor in to change the landscape. So all we can look at right now is a landscape where if you assume all those players are on the roster, which is fair, the Kings will have one healthy scratch. If someone, something changes, one of those many scenarios, then you get into a situation where you can easily make the math work for the Kings to have 22 players on the Mm -hmm. roster, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen between now and then. Um, The cap is, is so complicated that even though you eloquently explained it, it's not even the whole situation. Right. Like you, you did a really good job more than I know about it, but there are so many things that could happen. Mm-hmm. The Kings will be cap compliant. Um, you, I don't, I don't know. No, you don't, you're not allowed to be not cap compliant. <laughs> I don't know how the Toronto Maple Leafs will be cap compliant, but I know the LA Kings will be cap compliant. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think it was yesterday that Akil Thomas signed his contract extension. Yep. So they don't have any more outstanding players that need, you know, everybody that, whose rights they own are, are signed. Yep. But I still don't believe in my heart of hearts that they're done. There's just too much time left between now and training camp. A lot of things could still change. Yeah. Um, you can see a good picture of what a Kings roster looks like and what an Ontario roster looks like. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be opportunities to improve the roster. And that might mean moving a guy out for space to add two guys, Mm -hmm. or it might mean someone else becomes available. They weren't expecting. Maybe there's a free agent lingering that, that would sign a a lower deal that wasn't available to them on July 1st at that deal. So a lot of things could happen. Um, The Kings roster feels like the top nine and the top four and the goalies relatively stable. There will be some roster battles on the fourth line. There'll be some roster battles on the third pair. How those battles play out will determine, okay, how many scratches can they carry and who will those players be? And I, I think there is a point to camp will determine some of those positions. Camp might also determine potential moves. You know, if, you know, it'll come up in later questions, but players want, could be moved in camp. They can be moved in the season, you know, like. But people want to know, you know, who's got a, a best opportunity to, to break out. And it's one of those, it's one of those questions that I have sort of over my many, many years as a tortured Kings fan grew really tired of because it was like, you know, when I was in my teens and 20s, all I wanted to know about was, you know, the Matt Zoltex or the Donald McLeans, names that will mean nothing to you because no disrespect to those gentlemen, but their careers didn't amount to much. But, you know, when I was a younger Kings fan, I was like, oh, my God, first round pick Matt Zoltek, Donald McLean, like these are the future. So now I'm just like, okay, I'll let me know when they reach the Kings roster and it. but let's just say theoretically that it isn't england or bjornfoot or muvrari let's say joe hicketts has just an unbelievable camp and grabs a spot mm-hmm. well suddenly you've you know maybe you move on from you know <laughs> to use the phrase that somebody else used from quentin byfield maybe you don't need the seven support left shot d's that they acquired maybe a, another forward impresses so much a camp that he steps into the top nine well, now you've got a, another forward that maybe you, you know. So anyway, again, boring answer, but. Uh, but as we saw last year, when we had this conversation in July, Gabe Velarde wasn't in the top 12. Right. 
all the time. Maybe he was the 12th forward. Of the, maybe he was on the fourth line at best. In training camp, Filardi scored, what, five goals in seven preseason games, claimed a spot on the third line, and threw everything into a wrench mm-hmm. because of his play. So we've seen it. We see it every year. At least one guy, and Brant Clark, too. Brant Clark was on the radar. He wasn't a roster lock. He earned that spot in camp. Um, so we see it every year. Somebody will win the battle right. and earn a spot that we're not saying 100% as a lock. That triggers things elsewhere to where pieces fall into place. It happens every year, but we don't know it until they play out during the preseason. Uh, just to reset here, Zach Dooley joining me in the podcast studio at Toyota Sports Performance Center, Day 4 Development Camp. If you are listening to us live and you'd like to submit your own question, go ahead, respect request to be a speaker. We will get you in. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going down this list because we still have plenty more to go. This one is from Josh Jerry, Josh Gary, not sure how to pronounce that name. Apologies, Josh. This one, I actually feel pretty comfortable being negative and just saying, no, Josh, I'm sorry. I think you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, give me a reason to not like Anderson, Dowdy, Spence, Roy, Gavrikov, and Clark. I, there's a couple of reasons I don't like that. I'm going to start with the one that I care the most about, which is I am officially, personally done with right shot defensemen playing out of position on the left. Um, there, there are... Other reasons to not like those pairs, I'll start. I would love Anderson Dowdy as a pair, so I'm not changing that. But Spence and Roy as a pair does not sit particularly well with me. I have no reason to tell you not to like that, mm-hmm. but I have something I like a lot better, right? which is Anderson Dowdy, Gavrikov, Roy. Sure. That's an established top four, mm-hmm. and I understand people want it to be – that's what it's going to be. Like, the Kings have said it. Like, Rob Blake said it, that that's, that's why they re-signed Gavrikov, right. was to have this solid – top four of NHL vets. So I understand. And there's another question I know of who will play with a Clarkers, but it's going to be that in the top four, unless something changes. So I have no reason not to like what Josh proposed. Cause I've never seen it. And if Jordan Spence shot left, I think I'd like it a lot more because a Spence Roy pairing stylistically makes a lot of sense, but Anderson Dowdy Gavrikov Roy is what the Kings want to do. It's why they built the roster the way that they did to have these two flexible, dynamic pairings that's what they want to do so i like that more it's not to say i don't like the other configuration because we've never seen it but Mm -hmm. i like what the kings are going to do if i had uh, the hockey infinity gauntlet i would snap my fingers and make matt roy shoot left uh because that would fit more with their sort of preference for but but you you know what i mean yeah absolutely one of them shot left well we said last year if jordan spence shot left he'd be on the team for sure but he doesn't um but yes, I agree with you. Gavrikov and Clark were so effective. I understand people's concerns about a third pairing of Clark and either uh, Bjornfoot, who is still very young in his career, or England, who hasn't proved himself to the fans of LA because they haven't seen enough of him. I get it, right? It's particularly after previous recent seasons where the third pair was the weakest pair. I mean, your third pair should be your weakest pair, but the drop-off was significant. And mm-hmm. I think people want to avoid that. And you also want to help shelter Brand Clark, and Gavrikov has proven his effectiveness in his role. So you go, all right, well, Gavrikov and Clark, and then Roy and somebody, because Roy is also established, steady, reliable. But Gavrikov and Roy were so effective last year. I think at least to start the season, you have to. The metrics were yeah. otherworldly. Yeah. Like, best pair in the league metrics, top three pairing metrics. Now, it was a small sample size, yeah. but they were so good. But you have to roll it back. Yeah, at least yeah. to start the season, you in have to. In the playoffs, yeah. too, like. 
from yeah. the time they played together to the last game, their metrics were outstanding. And I think we've said this before. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the Kings top four would be on par with Niedermeyer, Pronger, and uh, I'm blanking on the third gentleman's name on the 2007 Ducks. It was uh, one Sean O'Donnell and one Francois Beauchemin. That's Beauchemin's the one. Those three guys, Beauchemin, Pronger, and Niedermeyer, I think played 30 minutes each. It's, it's not that good. But if you have two solid pairs that are as good as the Kings top two pairs, I think you don't want to sacrifice that um, to try and shore up a third pair. And now the Kings could adjust if mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But I think we we are in full lockstep that they will start the year yeah. with those two pairs. And, and they'll have a long leash. It won't be two games and like mix it up. And we've seen now they like Dowdy Anderson doesn't need to prove anything. Right. Gavrikov Roy is on their way. If anything, it would be to, because the third pair is getting buried. Yeah, And I, I think there's enough options on that pair where they would try to move players up and down there as opposed to breaking up the other pairs to make the other one better. Next one is a little bit tougher, but it is in the same vein of what we are just talking about. And it's uh, lost in the nexus um, is the account that asked it. Clark or Spence or both? I am tired of hiding my love for Jordan Spence. <laughs> um, I... Believe in Brant Clark to the same degree that everybody else does, but I sure. feel like I'm much more positive on Jordan Spence than other people are. So for me, it's a solid both. I think it's – I would have said both before the Dubois trade. Mm-hmm. Now I have a hard time seeing both together because you only have one extra. I would – yeah, I but, wouldn't yeah. – But I would be shocked if both didn't play NHL games this year. Yeah. I, I wouldn't – yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they trade places occasionally. Yes. Because both of them don't need yeah. to – to or don't need to go through the waivers process. Yeah, but I, I want to see both of them play, and unfortunately, you can't on the same night unless one of them does switch to the left, which I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. But, or if there's an injury, yes, which um, I'm also not interested. No, in. No, same. <laughs> uh, I I have a hard time believing we won't see both. Um, I just have a hard time believing we'll see both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which maybe, which I, I could easily have seen those as your. RD3 and D7 before the trade, I have a harder time seeing it now when your flexibility is limited because yeah. they want those guys playing and you you can't have them necessarily in the lineup together. So one of them you want is your RD1 in Ontario playing 30 minutes on the power play, logging tough matchups. The other you want in the NHL and they're both going to be capable in both roles. So I like I think we're on the same page. Like they'll both play games. Yeah, the moves that changed my opinion on what what I was expecting was actually not the Dubois trade. It was the subsequent uh, glut of free agent signings on the defense. Like my assumption heading into it, I guess probably also before the Dubois thing, was that Spence would be the seventh defenseman and that he and Clark would rotate in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. I think that's significantly less likely now because of Bjornfoot, Muvarari, Connaughton, you know, Hicketts, Englund, like. There's a lot of guys on the left. And, and this is not a end-all, be-all, but because they're on entry-level deals, they actually have a higher cap hit than all of those other guys yeah. you mentioned. So if you have a... Except for England. <laughs> right, except for England. Yeah. But it, So your 7th D, you can save mm-hmm. small amounts of money for the deadline and beyond by having someone else in that spot. And the Kings have a lot of other players they might rather see as a 7th D. And we saw last year, right? The Kings had no hesitation swapping out Bjornfoot, Movarara, Spence mm-hmm. in a seventh D role. We'll see. We'll see a lot of movement this year for sure. Could include several of those names from time to time. And just to clarify that, in case people are not as intimately familiar with 
the cap hits as, as you and I are. Um, Andreas England is signed to a two-year, one-way, $1 million contract, meaning he'll make a million dollars. Um, Cole Krieger makes eight thirty-seven point uh, 837500 New Zealand, 859,167. But Bjornfoot, league minimum. Joe Hicketts, league minimum. Kevin Connaughton and Jacob Muvrari, because they signed their contracts at a previous date, make less than league minimum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to your point, if you put Jacob Muvrari up there as your third pair D, you're saving a few hundred thousand dollars in cap space. Yeah. Divided by whatever. Right. Down the road. One, one of two hundred. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. up over time. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to the next one. Now, there, here's the one where the guy doesn't like me and wants to know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't write that one down out of respect. <laughs> uh, then Mikey Alexander complaining that I wasn't grateful enough for the <laughs> the Ted Lasso toys he gave me. Uh, all right. he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't include me on that one. <laughs> that just, was just, just you, me. huh? Uh, Zombitar uh, says, I saw a few scouting reports that had Dvorak skating rated as a red flag, but the Kings have said he's very mobile. Would love to hear more about what they see and why they feel differently. I'm going to let you start off that one. I mean, I, I've read the same scouting reports, but I've now heard from Mark Yannetti, Sean O'Donnell, and Matt Green mm-hmm. that he is very mobile. Yep. Especially for a guy who is six foot five. Yeah. Um, the Kings do not appear whatsoever concerned with the skating. Um, Yannetti is as forthcoming as just about any hockey executive I've ever talked to. And he said he's not an A-level skater, but he's a B-level skater. Like, the skating is not a problem. So I guess maybe when you scout an 18-year-old player playing in a men's league, certain traits don't shine. So you maybe graded him lower, but the, the Kings do not view him as, did not view the skating as a detriment for Jacob Dvorak, especially when looking at the size that he's at. Yeah, he's probably not the same level skater that Jordan Spence is, but Jordan Spence is what, 5'10"? Mm-hmm. So he's not he's not counted on to be. Um, but for the player that he is, the Kings seem to have no concerns whatsoever with the skating. Must be something about guys named Jacob because the number one reason I don't care about Dvorak skating is Jacob Muvrari. Like when he when Muvrari was drafted, it was there was no polishing going on at all. It was like this guy is not a good skater. Mm-hmm. Incredible hockey IQ, not a good skater. I've had internal conversations with LA Kings employees where they have looked at Jacob Muvarari and said that player cannot skate. Um, but his strengths are so strong that it, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. So I've been watching Jacob Dvorak for four days now and he looks fine. <laughs> he looks fine to me. I've said, I don't have an eye for skating, so I don't know. But um, yeah, as you said, when, when everybody internally says, it's a strength. I'm inclined to believe them. At the very least, it's not a detriment. Right. Right. Like, even if it's an above average, like, clearly there's a disconnect there. Um, and I, I don't think if, I don't think the player would have been picked where he was if the skating was viewed that low. Right. Um, so the, there's clearly the Kings across the board, scouting, uh, director of scouting and development mm. do not see that. So I'm at least inclined to believe what the people who are here watching and working with him are saying. Yeah. And he'll come up again later. Unless um, there's some organizational propaganda to right. prop up this man's skating, which I don't think is the case. Well, that's why I bring up Uvrari because we have seen with players drafted by this same group of people in yeah. recent history, 
where they're not shy at all about saying like, yeah, we know this guy can't and skate. In the same breath, you know, the skating with Cohen Zemer, Mark mm-hmm. Canetti mentioned, needs to get better. Yeah. So he, in this, you know, the second round pick to the third round pick, isn't shy about saying, here's what we like. Here's what, here's what needs to get better. He said that there. He referenced Tyler Toffoli. He referenced Tanner Pearson, mm-hmm. two players who in were not there as a skater in their first draft year. We saw what happened with both those guys. Toffoli went from some Cohen Zemer-like traits to what he is. Pearson went from his skating was so bad he wasn't even drafted twice to where the Kings picked him in the first round because it improved. So he's very open about when he doesn't like the skating. And with Dvorak highlighted it as... A, I don't, a strength, I guess. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I heard. Certainly not a weakness. Yeah, and he's friggin' big out there. Yeah. Um, the next question is another one about, well, it'll become about the cap, I think. How long does the Copley, this is Nick Adams asking, how long does the Copley, Talbot, Platoon, and Goal last before they bring up Portillo and or deal from some help? I'm going to pick nits with the question. I don't think we're guaranteed that it'll be Copley, Talbot. David Riddich is just as likely in my mind to make the roster as either of the other two gentlemen. Um, But regardless of what the tandem is, I think it'll last as long as it's playing well. Uh, Right. I mean, that's results driven business, right? Um, The plan I would, I would assume the most likely tandem is Talbot Copley. Sure. Um, I would also say that I think for Portillo, I don't see him as the first guy coming up. He's never played a pro game. A lot to like with him. Huge, athletic, good pedigree. I see him as the younger complement, and I see if David Riddick is the third guy, he would be the guy to come up if there's a a performance issue or an injury or something of the like. I wouldn't see it as Portillo right away. I think the Kings want him playing games, learning the pro routine, learning the pro lifestyle, learning um, and growing as a player, doing that in Ontario. I think that's the spot for him right now. He's a little bit of an older prospect, but he's still very young and he's still a prospect. He's still never played a pro game. He'll start in the AHL for sure and be able to work on some things, which is great. Um, But the Kings have three guys who spent last year in the NHL. Um, Those will be the guys looked at. And hopefully it rides the whole year because it hasn't been an issue. Um, But as we saw last year, the Kings won't be afraid to make changes in net if they feel it's holding the team back. But let's play a little bit of worst case scenario. You know, let's say that halfway through November, the goaltending numbers are mirroring what we saw last year yep. through the first 20 games or whatever it was. They have a, a a move like they did last year, right? As you mentioned, it's not Portillo coming up, it's Riddich or whichever yep. one of them starts out in Ontario. That's the first move you make, right? If Copley or Talbot is underperforming or if one of them gets hurt, the first move is Riddich. After that, I think you have to look at the calendar. Because if the problem is identified and is clear in November, maybe you make tough decisions to open up cap space to to acquire a more established goalie. If it's February, you might just have to eat the end of a season. You know, if, like that's the corner they've. Well, I would say the exact opposite. You think so? Because it's what happened last year. The move was made in February. Yes, but they're in a much tighter. Like the, the I think the decision would be. But if the Kings Harder do what they this year. are aiming to do, mm-hmm. which is banking space all year, you know, a $5 million contract at the deadline is not a $5 million contract. It's a much smaller contract. True. And then the cap hit doesn't apply in the playoffs. So it's what happened last year, right? The Kings were, what, 30th in save percentage? It was bad. It was low. Mm-hmm. But they were still right in the mix. And then from 
the deadline on, it was it was much better. So I I see your point because yeah. the Kings are so tight against the cap, and in your scenario, they it's a hockey move. It's not a saving up and adding move. It's mm-hmm. like a, we're subtracting to add elsewhere. Um, so I guess it we'll see how it plays out. But I guess I should have included the standings and the calendar, right? Yeah. If, if it's February and they're you know first place in the division, and you can afford sure to ride it out, maybe you try that. If it's middle of January and you're in seventh place in the division and the, and you're getting 30th place goaltending, mm-hmm. you know, because of the way the contracts are structured and everything next year, next summer, I should say opens up flexibility all over the place. Mm-hmm. So we'll find out. But the real answer is I think you and I don't expect Portillo to no. be the first one up. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is not a season the Kings are can afford to throw away. Yeah, and look towards next summer. Like this is a team that's committed to competing now. Um, so I think if there's an issue, they will look to correct it because this is a team that's built to win and compete now. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're listening to this live and you have a question you want to submit, feel free to request to be a speaker. We will go ahead and add you. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going through our list. This one we've already sort of talked about, but I'll ask it again. This is from Doctor A. Who will Clark play with? He must start playing with an experienced NHL left D. England only has played 80 NHL games. Bjornfoot has played 116. Clark will benefit more with Gavrikov, who has 286. He again proposes Anderson, Doughty, Gavrikov, Clark, Bjornfoot, or England, and Roy. And I've I've heard that suggested a number of different places, and as we previously stated, I just don't think that'll be the case because Gavrikov and Roy were so uh, dominant last season. I think we can agree that it probably would benefit Clark to play with a with Gavrikov or Anderson, right? Like yeah. they're experienced veteran, stable left shot partners, but it, it's about what's best for the LA Kings mm-hmm. for a team that's competing. And for a team that's competing, what's best for the Kings out of the gates is Anderson, Dowdy, Gavrikov, Roy. Maybe we'll be completely wrong. And that's what, but every single indication points to those two pairs. And then from there, Maybe the best thing for Brant Clark is to play 10 games in Ontario to start the year, get his feet wet. Then he comes up a little bit more experienced. And Spence Bjornfoot was a pairing with the rain. There's a lot of familiarity there that could translate to the the NHL level. So I I would agree with the point that what's best for Clark would be to play with a guy like Gavrikov. But I think what's best for the Kings is that they find a third pair that's stable together to complement the top four, which is solid and established. I Before all of the moves they made... I would have assumed that the that the correct move would have been to go get a guy. I'm going to throw a name out, not because I actually thought he would be a potential, but this type of player. My thought was that, <coughs> excuse me, getting a guy like Radko Gudis to play on the third pair with a Brant Clark or Jordan Spence or some sort of tandem. But you said earlier that you don't want a right shot defensive playing on the left side. Radko Gudis I don't. Right, I forgot man. that he shoots right. But that type of player. I mean Alex Edler, right? Like yes, exactly. You know, an Alex Edler type a experienced veteran right. who has a good influence on younger players, who is solid. Um, Who's affordable, that, who won't mind playing third side. That type of, third pair that of, type of yeah. guy, right, is is probably what I assumed you thought. Yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we've reached a point now, and this is <laughs> – I probably shouldn't interject this here, but I'm going to anyway. Um, one of the reasons that I'm for getting rid of the draft is what we're seeing now in a lot of contracts that are being handed out, which is there are more players – then good teams can afford or fit on their roster. And so a guy like Gudis goes to Anaheim and what is he getting? Four million, I Mm -hmm. think. 
that's because that team has space and they need players and they're perfectly willing to give him that much money. Whereas the Florida Panthers are not. So, so what's that have to do with the draft? That plays roster, on like his roster spots. Team. No, but <laughs> conversation for a later date. I'm just saying roster spots fill up faster than I think people realize. And even if at the number one pick every year went to the Toronto Maple Leafs in about five years, you start finding number one picks that wanted more money, more minutes, more playing time, and they wouldn't wind up in Toronto because Toronto would be stacked with the previous four years. Anyway, like I said, I shouldn't have even brought it up. You shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> Moving on to the next question. Uh, Gollum wants to know, can you compare contrast Pinelli and Velarde? The latter was thought to have a top six ceiling, big bodied and high skill if average straight line speed. What we've got in Francesco Pinelli, what seems to be his ceiling and where does he fit in Ontario this coming season? Big Gollum fan, personally. Um, <laughs> I don't see those two players similarly at all. Yeah. Um, I think they have very, very different traits. Um, you hope that Pinelli is a top six forward with Ontario. You hope that he's in camp pushing to make the big club because mm-hmm. he's so impressive. With the amount of players the Kings have for those spots, the most likely destination is Ontario. You hope that he goes in there and commands a top six role, or if not, it's because there are so many guys that it's more of a top nine kind of team. Um, I see Gabe as a worse skater, but more of an offensive, just straight up playmaker, shooter, scorer. Pinelli has that in his game, but he's a lot more, he's a lot faster. Um, and I see them as different style of players, even though the end result that you want for a player like Pinelli is also a top six player. So very different stylistically, just from the limited viewings I've had of Pinelli. Um, but hopefully a similar end result, even though not in the same style. I can't escape the sort of external comparisons. Like Velarde was an 11th overall pick. Pinelli was 42nd overall. Mm-hmm. You know, Velarde fell, quote unquote, to 11, right? Mm-hmm. So he was theoretically a top 10 pick. Pinelli's middle of the second round. So just right off the hop, the compare, you know, the expectations mm-hmm. are way different. Francesco Pinelli was the captain of the Kitchener Rangers. I don't know if Gabe Velarde was the captain of his juniors team. He never played in a year after 18, so he wasn't. Right. But he, he maybe he would have been. Yeah. So those are the sort of things that leave out to me. Um, Francesco Pinelli also doesn't carry, and this is no fault of either player, but doesn't carry the concerns with health background. Correct. So I look at Francesco Pinelli, and I don't know what to expect out of him. Part of that is draft pedigree. Part of that is, you know, the style of game he plays. Like, I, I'm aware that he had a very productive season this year in Kitchener, but mm-hmm. I'm also aware that they had a very disappointing finish to the season. None of that should necessarily reflect directly on him. But I just don't – I don't see much of a comparison to the two players at all other than that they're forwards. Yeah, I don't really care about production in junior, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it's almost the baseline. Mm-hmm. And, like – if you're not producing, that's when it's like, oh, we got to look at this. Right. But he is producing, which is great. He's doing what's expected of a, you know, a highly drafted player in his last year of junior hockey. Interested to to get a feel for him at the pro level for sure. Um, other than Clark, he's probably the most intriguing player coming into the pro ranks this year. So he's a guy we want to take a look at, and that's maybe the most unknown. But a lot of players have had that production in the OHL. And it hasn't been quite at that level in the AHL. So he's going to be a guy to watch. How can he translate his game 
from the OHL to the AHL. Uh, Mark Unetti spoke at the draft about how his compete has improved. He said that was the reason he fell from a first-round projection to a mid-second-round pick. Um, so if he has that in his game alongside the speed and skill, that's very encouraging um, for it being something that wasn't there when he was 18. I'm just going to throw out some names uh, to answer the last part of the question about where he might slot in in Ontario, just to give a sense of what competition he's facing. Um, and I'm going to leave Jared Anderson Dolan out of this list, assuming that he makes the Kings roster as well as Trevor Lewis. This is the rest of the names forward that could conceivably play in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Samuel Fagamo, TJ Tynan, Tyler Madden, Martin Kromiak, Alex Turcott, Charles Houdon, Mikhail Maltsev, Samuel Holanius, Taylor Ward, Hayden Hodgson, Andre Lee, Akil Thomas, Alex Laferriere. That's a lot of names. And like guys like Houdon and Tynan don't need to be developed. They don't need to worry about the careers. But they are incredibly productive, successful AHL veterans. For sure. Guys like Tyler Madden. And, uh, you know, Samuel Fogamo, Taylor Ward, Mikhail Maltsev, I'm assuming will will find their way into roles that they have either already established with the rain or will seek to establish, you know, mm-hmm. guys like Maltsev. You've got guys like Martin Kromiak, Alex Turcott, and Alex Laferriere sort of directly competing with Pinelli, in my mind, for top six offensive type roles mm-hmm. or middle six, maybe. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's... It is not going to be any easier to find ice time on the rain than it is the Kings this year. A lot of names on that list are players that someone will tell you they can't play on the fourth line. Right. But there's 11 of those guys that people will say that about. And <laughs> right. Two of them have to play on the fourth line. Yeah. Um, so it will be a... And it won't be TJ Tynan. <laughs> no, it won't be. <laughs> or he'll Charles be, He'll be on the first line. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how those battles shape out um, for sure. Because not all of those guys will play the roles they're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. They'll have to start lower in the lineup and earn more minutes. And I've worked in the minor leagues for so many years that the line you start on, on op- everything looks deep on opening night. And then you're in the middle of December and three of your guys have been called up and two more are hurt. Right. And suddenly that guy in the fourth line is being counted on to play LW2 and has to produce because yeah. the depth is gone. And it happens a lot quicker than you think. So when it where it shakes out on October 11th, it's going to be very different than January 11th. Yeah, suddenly Nikita Pavlichev is on your third line playing tons of minutes. And counted upon. And, yeah. you know, the fourth line is guys from the ECHL. And mm-hmm. it, it comes at you fast. I've seen it where that depth, though, it looks really great. And then all of a sudden it doesn't because the minor leagues, the lower you go, the more you get cherry picked. Yeah. Um, this one, we've seen a previous sort of version of this question. It's from Richard Zarabio. Based on what we've seen at this camp, who has a great shot at stealing a job at training camp in September? Who looks most like a king? I don't have an answer for this, so I'll send it to you. This, to me, feels like a year where it's going to be very hard for someone off the radar to steal a job because there are already substantially more guys on the radar than there are roster spots at the NHL level. At this camp, obviously Clark is the closest to the NHL, and I wouldn't consider him off the radar. Clearly, he's on. Right. Um, I guess I don't think of that as stealing. Like, I have him not, in a no. spot, so he's not stealing. So behind Clark... In my opinion, the closest guy would be an Alex Leferrier because he's played two years of NCAA, three years since the draft, very productive in college, playing against older players, has pro experience a little bit. He's been around the rain in the Kings for a month or so and is a little bit more integrated. So that would be the top guy, I would say, is like you could see it. Mm -hmm. But think about the guys he would have to surpass in order to claim a 13th forward spot or a 12th forward spot. It's veteran guys with several years of experience and you know the Kings didn't sign Trevor Lewis for him to play in the AHL 
So you have to pass what? Fagimo, Maltsev, Anderson Dolan, Lewis, at least three of those four guys you'd have to pass just to be on the roster, all four of them to play. And that's for anybody. So I, I do think it's going to be a very hard year for someone off the radar to come onto it unless they have a banger of a camp mm-hmm. because already two or three of those guys won't make the team. And that's that's a, a player who should be in the NHL, probably not playing in the AHL. And then on the back end, at this camp, it's Clark. And then there's a group of guys who will be who are exciting prospects but aren't NHL ready. So I, I feel like this is going to be a tough year for someone to hop onto the radar from way off the board. Yeah, and that leads us directly into our next question. Why bring on Trevor Lewis if it means you're going to lose one of your younger players to waivers at the start of the season? Is there more money we're trying to move to prevent this and give us more flexibility? I will let you give your speech about waivers. It's a it's a fair question. Yeah. I hear waivers every year. Yeah. And I and no one ever gets claimed, at least off the bat. Yeah. Um, not no one. In my time here, I think the only time the Kings had a player claimed out of camp was Christian Willannon. Mm. Was that camp? Yeah. Didn't Grosnick get was that camp he or was, was early that like a month season, later? Okay. Um, because the Kings had the taxi squad that year. Right, right, right. Um, or if it was, he was claimed back in a week, so yeah. it didn't really matter. <laughs> but every year it's like, player A will definitely be claimed on waivers. Mm-hmm. Never is. Now, the Kings last year employed a fourth line that was younger players who were, their ceiling is higher than a fourth line, but the, the top nine was full. Mm-hmm. And the fourth line got kind of manhandled in the playoffs. Yes, they did. Trevor Lewis knows his role, embraces his role. He was the th- he played the third most minutes amongst forwards in the Calgary Flames penalty kill last year. And the Calgary Flames penalty kill was the third best penalty kill in the league. So he was a contributor on a very good PK. We've heard it a lot. The Kings need to improve on the PK. He helps there. He's a veteran. So when you come to that time of the year in the playoffs, even if he's maybe not going to be as productive as say Kaliev was on the fourth line in the regular season. Like he knows how to play in the playoffs. Don't have to tell Kings fans that he's got two rings. That's the kind of guy that a competitive team, a cup aspirations team signs to play on the fourth line. It's not a guy in an ELC. Um, It might force a player through waivers. Um, It definitely will, whether they get claimed or not TBD. Um, I'm not concerned about it. Because I'm not, I just have seen it and heard it so many times and it so rarely happens. I just don't have that concern anymore. Um, the other part of the question about the moving space, we talked about that earlier, certainly could happen, which would free up potentially another spot. Um, but at this time, we can only look at the landscape we have. And right now, there isn't a move that's coming tomorrow. And the Immediate answer for me, why bring on Trevor Lewis if it means you're going to lose one of your younger players to waivers at the start of the season. The first half of that question is because they believe that Trevor Lewis is better than the options on that line. If we start the season with Grundstrom, Lazat, and Trevor Lewis on the fourth line, the organization believes that Trevor Lewis is a better option than Grundstrom, Lazat, and Fogamo, or Grundstrom, Lazat, and Laferriere, or Chromiak, or any of the other young mm. players that might slot into that spot. Emo is the perfect comparison yeah here, right because he does need waivers mm-hmm. his ceiling is higher than what trevor lewis is today mm-hmm. but he's not there yet so like his potential is not rw4 it's higher in the lineup but 
we're trying to fill RW4 and the Kings are trying to win. And the top, yeah, that's the crucial part, the trying to win. If your top nine are what the Kings' top nine are and their top four on defense are what they are on defense, you know, Jim always talks about moving out of the teardown phase and, you know, into competing phase. Trying to decide, as you said earlier, what's best for an individual player over what's best for the team, that equation has totally shifted now. 100%. So maybe it might be better for Samuel Fagamo's personal development to play on the second line right. with you know guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois. But if the Kings feel that their best chance to win is you know Arthur Kaliev on the second line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Trevor Lewis on the fourth line because he knows how to go penalties, his game really hasn't slid since he left the Kings. No. Um, he, you know, every <laughs> we've talked about this before, but anytime we would go to natural stat trick or money puck and just start looking into sort of raw defensive metrics, it's just Carolina Hurricanes and Calgary Flames. Every guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the top 20 spots is from one of those two teams. And so it was really difficult to separate out, you yeah. know, is Brent Burns having some sort of unbelievable Bobby or esque season, or is he just play for a coach in a system that? where every single guy on the roster contributes to the defense. And Trevor Lewis is one of those guys. I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, that he found himself playing that role on that team and, and really excelling at it. So that's why you bring in Trevor Lewis, and, and you've uh, explained perfectly well the uh, the issues about waivers. Um, next question is actually four questions, sort of. Um, first one, Angus Booth looks like he's progressed and gotten more mature. Chances he plays in Ontario or Greenville this season – I love Angus Booth. I don't have any particular reason. Um, he's 19, so chances he plays in Ontario or Greenville are zero. Unless he's a CHL player. Maybe in March. You'd right. see him at the end Once of the, the year. Once the month and yeah, uh, yeah, not eligible ends, right. to play in yeah. Ontario or Greenville. Will Sammy Hellenius have a chance to be 4C in LA? It's not zero, but it is very low. So Jarrett Stoll spoke about Samuel Hellenius a lot the other day. Mm-hmm. He won't be the four seed this year, barring unforeseen circumstances. But Stoli said two to three years, we see this guy in the NHL. He's probably a longer development curve than some other guys, but he's a massive player, still growing into his body, still learning the North American game. Probably the second most experienced guy on the ice this week behind maybe the most experienced in terms of pro games. Pro games, yeah. Like he hasn't played as many NHL games as Brent Clark, but Mm -hmm. he's he played a full year in the AHL. Only him and Chromiak did that, and Chromiak missed a lot of time with injury. So mm-hmm. he's progressing. Stoll seemed pretty happy with it, and they, they've they seen this guy as a future bottom six center for the Kings for years to come, but it's going to take him some time to get there. So, no, I, I don't see him as the 4C on opening night, but it'd be nice to see him kind of compete for that spot because down the road the Kings do see him in one of those, those center spots uh, when he gets to that point. Yeah. Next one uh, on this quadrant. Quartet? That's not Quartet. Quartet, thank you, of, uh, of questions. Will Chromiak or LaFerrier have a shot at cracking LA's lineup? They will. I don't think it's a great chance, but they will have a chance. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we all assume that Arthur Kaliev will play a top nine role. Um, I don't think that that's a guarantee. I think it's very likely. But one of the things I said earlier was, what if somebody has an incredible camp? and forces a move somewhere else. I'm not anticipating this. I'm not rooting for this. But if Chromiak or Laferriere come into camp, blow the doors off of everybody, yep. prove that they are capable of stepping in, you know, if they find some sort of miraculous chemistry with Dubois or Fiala or both yep. of them, then that opens up an opportunity to move a different prospect 
or a younger player who's not a prospect anymore if the one of those guys seizes that spot. Now it's rare and unlikely, but again, or maybe it not reimagines zero. your healthy scratch or yep. your fourth line, and mm-hmm. it's what Gabe did last year. So yeah, but Gabe Velarde's pedigree was a lot different than those Correct. guys. In another year, like not are under different circumstances. You could see it because you want those guys to be pushing. It just feels like this is a tough year to do it. But if it happens, it's a great thing for the Kings because it means one of those guys came in and just had a banger of a camp. And I do want to kind of remind people, no disrespect to the two players, but Leferrier was a third-round pick and Chromiak was a fifth-round pick. We talk about these guys because they're in our system all the time. But the likelihood of a third- or fifth-round pick becoming what Arthur Kaliev has already become in his young career. It, it's percentage wise. It's just low. It's just not as likely as I think most of us would like. Um, last one in the, uh, in the tweet, uh, Kyle Cree, Cole Krieger, excuse me, progresses to the NHL level. That one I think is slightly more likely just because we have that undefined defense situation on defense. He's one of the guys that, is very interesting this week because he's a man <laughs> playing out there with boys and it's hard to evaluate him because like you, you said, you, you saw him in the room, you spoke with him in the room, you see him on the ice. Like he is bigger and stronger and more capable than most guys out there, but he's what 24. Like he's played five years of NCAA hockey. Yeah. He's, he needs to be evaluated strictly at the pro level. Like this week is good for him to learn some things, but like evaluating him ragdolling, you know, an 18 year old kid, isn't going to be much of an evaluator. You want to see him doing it against 28-year-old men. Very interested to kind of see how he slots in this year because he's big, fairly mobile, has some has some ability, very strong guy, um, but he's an older prospect. Like, he doesn't have four AHL years to be evaluated. He probably has one, maybe two. You have to see some faster growth from him because he's older. Um, intriguing to watch him play for sure because, like you said, Maybe there is a spot for a guy like that on the roster in the future, um, and it, it could very well be him. Next question is one that I have specifically avoided, partially because it's a landmine if you don't approach it from the correct d- direction. Is it the guy who said he wouldn't listen if you no, 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 partially because it's a league issue and there really isn't much for us to say it as, you know, an arm of the LA Kings mm-hmm. organization. But the way that this question was phrased, I think is a perfect opportunity to discuss it. Steve wants to know, it was wondering with the whole specialty Jersey fiasco up in the NHL, if the AHL was going to follow suit or keep everything intact, you have extensive experience with this sort of thing at the AHL level. So I'll let you take it away. So in the NHL, there are certain programs that are league mandated. Actually, let me cut you off and explain what he means by the fiasco for anybody who may not be familiar with it. Um, At the league meetings earlier this year, the league decided to do away with the mandatory theme nights. There were four of them, hockey fights, cancer, St. Patrick's day, uh, military appreciation night and pride night. And teams were required to have, uh, I believe required to have warm up jerseys, special warm up jerseys for those nights. They were encouraged to do other nights. Pride was life. not mandatory. Well, uh, the okay. other three were right, um, but because there was some controversy driven up by some players opting not to wear uh, the pride jerseys, and then some teams opted to have nobody wear them, the league decided to avoid that controversy. They would just say no more specialty jerseys at all. So. 
Marvel night, Dodgers night, um, St. Patrick's Day. I'm trying to think of other uh, Star Wars night. No more warm-up jerseys. You can have the night. You can have the celebrations. You can create jerseys and auction them and sell them and have players autograph them. They just won't wear them on the ice during warm-ups. So the question was, will the AHL follow suit? Sorry, that was a long intro. So the AHL does not have mandated nights, and the AHL allows uh, players to wear the jerseys during the game. So the Ontario Reign will do Hockey Fights Cancer Night wearing a jersey with purple in it for the entire game. And they'll coordinate with the other team to make sure there's no clash. If it's a white jersey, the other team will bring their other one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as far as I know, that won't change. Um, AHL teams, it's very different because they have more themed jerseys and they're actually game-worn jerseys, not just warm-up wearing jerseys. They raise a lot of money for minor league clubs, uh, both for charity and in ticket sales because those are high-demand games um, and it's part of the night. So I, I wouldn't anticipate that changing. Um, it would be a very big change to the revenue model of an AHL club. Um, so I can't see that changing. Um, AHL clubs also have a lot more flexibility on what theme nights that they choose to do. They can go wildly off the board and wear some crazier jerseys. They can be very traditional. Um, but I know that with the Ontario rain, several theme jerseys are worn, uh, a lot of really cool designs. And I wouldn't see any of that changing because of the NHL's uh, choice. If you go to a rain game, you can see just fans walking around the concourse wearing dozens of different rain jerseys with paw prints on them because Mm -hmm. of, you know, affiliations they've made with yep. local pet charities or, you know, pet supply chains, whatever. There's the Dia de, de la Muertos jersey mm-hmm. last year that was very popular. Yeah, there's all sorts of jerseys in the AHL. Um, Carter Rubin asks another question. We've been asked in sort of various different versions, which player is looking most NHL ready and someone we might see in a Kings jersey for at least a game or two? Brand Clark. <laughs> it's the cheap, uh, sneaky answer. Um, Dave wants to know, Kaliev started last season strong and then had a hard time after his injury. Do you see him getting back to early last season levels or better this year? And where do you see him slotting in? Cheers, go Kings, go. I have him at second line right wing. More a, a path of least resistance is not the right phrase, but like I'm expecting Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe. I'm expecting the nice line just because of its chemistry. But I wouldn't be stunned if they tried something like Fiala Dubois and Arvidsson and Kaliev with either Moore and Deneau, or maybe they shake them all up. I mean, we'll find out in training camp, but I'm anticipating Kaliev in a top nine role. There is a spot for him to be one <coughs> with a lot of expectation that I think he will claim it. Mm-hmm. He has to earn it in camp because he could get beaten out for that spot as he did last year. But I, I think he was going to start in the top nine last year. Had Velarde not gone scorched earth in the preseason because Already Cali have also had some production in the preseason, mm-hmm. was targeted for that spot. Uh, but Velarde's production was just so high that he had to play in the top nine. So there will be a spot for him to be one. He has to earn it. Um, but I think every expectation will be that he can play the level he did early in the year before the injury that we saw some of the year before and then expand upon that. Um, and lock down a role that's now available for him. Uh, because if it's not him, there'll be several other players on entry-level deals or lower deals that will be chomping at the bit to play in that role. The real question for me will be power play deployment. We now have... Right circle. Yeah, well, maybe. There you go. He might not get power play deployment, though. Yes, he will. 
I I mean I I would expect it, but he will play on the power play. But Byfield, Kopitar, Kempe, Arvidsson, Fiala, Dubois, Kaliev, I would expect to be prioritized. Not Adrian not Kempe? necessarily in that order. Did I leave Kempe out? Include Kempe then. Like Deneau and Moore are the two immediate ones whose power play minutes might be a casualty. Well, the Kings play eight forwards on the power play. Right, but I just rattled so, off I mean, nine. So, I if you look you at know. the top nine, I mean, Kaliev played over more and over Byfield in the power play last year and scored like eight power play goals, so he will play on the power play. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, although, and this is not necessarily going to matter, but last year they had multiple right shot mm-hmm. forwards. This year they have one. Um, yes. So, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Trevor Lewis, not likely to play a lot of power play minutes, but... Artie Kaliev right will shot. play on the power play. Yeah, most likely. No, he will play on the power play. Uh, most likely. <laughs> You're right. Um, all right, next if question. If he doesn't, it's because he's not in the lineup. Fair. Next question. What are the chances that Dvorak plays in North America next season? Do you think Jared Stoll has an interest in... Oh, there's multiple questions. We'll start with Dvorak. Um, I don't know, but I'm going to guess... I mean, he, does, he hasn't signed an ELC yet. Right, so, that's the first step. Yeah. I... Don't think I asked him because I think I assumed he was just playing in the Czech League mm-hmm. again. But it's a fair question. Um, would be eligible to play in the AHL, unlike some of the CHL picks, because he's European. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I know, he's going back over. But I actually wish I asked that question. If he doesn't sign an ELC in the next two weeks, I'm going to assume he's going back to Czechia. Because... First and second round players that need ELCs or even that don't, you know, Clark and Pinelli, I think, and even Hellenius signed quickly, even though Hellenius went back to Finland. I think with like Tobias Bjornfoot, when he made the Kings mm-hmm. as an 18 year old, I think he signed a little bit later. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't need an ELC to attend camp. No. Um, so you, you never know, I guess, how those processes play out, but. And theoretically, I mean, this is incredibly unlikely, but I suppose theoretically Dvorak could sign an AHL-only deal. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't – I mean, why not just sign him to an ELC at that point? A lot of options because he could yeah. also, in theory, come play in the CHL. Yeah. Um, he's young enough, so. Next question on this on Jeff Anderson's uh, tweet was, do you think Jared Stoll has an interest in a coaching role in the next few years? I've never asked him, but – I know him a little bit, and based on what I've seen, I think he's pretty happy. I mean, he's got a lot of hats that he wears for the organization at the yeah. moment. He seems pretty happy to me. Very different to a coach versus a development coach. Mm-hmm. Um, seems extremely well-suited for the job he has. Doesn't mean he couldn't be a, a regular coach as well, but I would be inclined to agree with you. Yeah. Um, maybe that changes if the TV situation changes, if he has a reduced role on whatever the telecast looks like moving forward, but unclear and then the last one and this is <laughs> i don't honestly know the answer to this one did the kings pick in the first round next year or make it three years in a row with no first rounder the there is a way that i can see them trading a first round pick during this upcoming season and that's if an opportunity presents itself to acquire and somehow fit into the cap math a, a number like a clear-cut number one goalie if there's some Sequence of events that leads to Connor Hellebuck being available to the LA Kings, and it makes sense. I can see them trading a first-round pick to acquire him. But so many other things would have to happen first to even make that a possibility. I'm not. It's not even worth going into. I think a lot of it depends on where the team's at come, say, the deadline, mm-hmm. and 
who's injured, who's performing well, what the situation is. There's definitely a situation where they move that pick. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to win. Um, there's also another situation where the Kings play very well and their first round pick is in the early 30s and they trade down out of the first round for two second round picks. So that's like a weird way they don't pick in the first. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like don't see it happening right now, but I could see a lot of situations where it could happen. Um, that nothing's not on the table to make the team better. Right. And if it means not picking in the first round, it means not picking in the first round. And I mean, I was talking to somebody um, yesterday or the day before, I think, because there are teams out there, be, the the addition of the rule that you can retain salary in trades and, and teams have stepped forward in previous years to act as, you know, intermediaries, basically Brokers. just banks. Yeah, exactly. So there are, you know, if if a play, let's just take Hellebuck because he's got one year. The math is easy in my head. That's why I'm picking him not because I genuinely believe it'll happen. But he's making $6 million this year. Mm-hmm. If a team like Arizona or some other team down in the bottom of the standings with cap space, if Winnipeg traded him to that team, retained 50%, now you're looking at $3 million. And if that team wanted to trade him to the Kings and retain at 50%, now you're looking at 1.5. And it's 1.5 prorated to however much time is left in the season. If the Kings are able to put someone on LTIR for extended periods of time, if somebody's hurt. Easily yeah, do it. Yeah. It's, it suddenly becomes... It makes the price higher. Right. That you have to pay. But it could be done. Yeah. And if the Kings are in a position where they feel like, okay, now is the time where we can strike. And again, it doesn't have to be Halbuck. I just used him. And it could also be a... Second line winger, or, or, it could or third be pair D, if, a, if, a D, yeah. I mean, it could be anything. Um, if the price is right and they feel it actually gives them an elevated chance to go for a cup, as silly as that sounds to me, um, I, I, yeah, it could have easily happen. Uh, next question again from Richard Sarabia: How much are you looking forward to the season with all the turnover that's happening? Uh, and uh, tongue in cheek. Next follow up question: How exciting will Bark Madness be with all the new people joining the team, assuming they all own dogs? I think a lot of them do. Um, I'm really looking forward to this season because I have n- no concept of what to expect. Why not? I could see if, if you know, I said it last year, if everything went right, I felt the team could be a contender. And if everything mm-hmm. went, you know, if things didn't go right, I could see them missing the playoffs. With the roster they have today, if everything breaks right, I think they're miles better than they were last year. Right. Like, way better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that everything's going to go right. The goaltending right. question is a huge question. The cap space, the amount of available players. You know, if one of the Kings' higher-played players was to require long-term... I was about to say long-term LTIR. <laughs> if they were... You know, we are now in the realm where we would benefit from LTIR the way teams like Vegas and Chicago and, right. and Tampa have in the past mm-hmm. that loophole only applies to the teams with players that make enough money to yes. exploit it mm-hmm. the kings are now in that realm where they have enough players where if they're in second place in the division in january or february and somebody gets hurt and you can ltir them then acquire another incredible player at the deadline then have that first player come back healthy once the playoffs like all of a sudden there's all these possibilities that open up that just yeah. weren't possible last year or the year before. It also feels like they're finally in a place where they could still be good without right with a guy out. That's Whereas, what I mean. Like, if, last if, year, yeah. especially the year before, was so fragile that if one mm-hmm. guy was out, 
they can't overcome it. Let's say they've not clinched a playoff spot in February, but they're very nearly clinched. And the lineups looks exactly like we expected. And Victor Arvidsson suffers an injury late in the season that allows you to put him on LTIR and then acquire another player who earns three and a half million, you know, a Barbashev type player. Then Arvidsson comes back for the playoffs and that player drops down to the fourth line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now suddenly your fourth line is, you know, it's just insane. But the flip side of that is what if the goalie situation doesn't work out? What if they're forced to make moves earlier because they find themselves in a position where they're having 30th place, you know, goaltending performance? I'm not anticipating it, but I. it's very difficult for me to be as confident about the, I think the phrase I used the other day was their ceiling is unquestionably higher, mm-hmm. but the foundation is unquestionably uh, less stable. The team on paper is better today than it was Last year. Right. Like, uh, no no doubt it. Um, the goaltending is different. There was a lot more optimism, I think, about the tandem last year. Um, but despite overall goaltending that was low, the Kings were still in the mix. Mm-hmm. And when they just got that up to, like, league average, they were one of the best teams in the league in the regular season. So it's certainly interesting. Um, it's always tough when you have an unknown, you know, like, we know Cam Talbot's body of work. We've never seen him with the Kings. Um, he's a veteran. He's had a few really good years as of late. Um, all signs point to a good fit, but we don't know how it plays out until we see it. Behind this Kings team and this system, we just don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting for sure. It's it's the lowest invested area of the roster, which makes it the most the easiest to pick holes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you stop the puck, you stop the puck, and we don't know if, if they'll stop the puck until we play the games. There's also... The element of, you know, points out, points in. And it's not even points, but the team developed such an, such a useless word in this context, but such an identity over the last two years. You know, the two years ago with all the injuries and, you know, they had all these guys coming up from Ontario. Then last year you had Velarde break out. I follow played an incredibly important role mm-hmm. playing up and down the, the lineup. Rasmus Kupari began to establish, you know, a spot for himself. Sean Dersey became what Sean Dersey is. It's a lot of people out of the lineup. And so, yes, unquestionably, like I said, the ceiling is higher. On paper. Yeah. But do Fiala and Dubois work together? You know, right. I we hope don't, so. We don't know. But yeah. if they don't, well, now what? Right. <laughs> um, you know, who's going to play with them on the right? Is it Kaliev? Is it Arvidsson? Is, you know, is it Trevor Moore? Is, is, it, is it Trevor Lewis? Samuel like, Fagimo. Is yeah. it Trevor Lewis? Yeah. So it's... So for that reason, I'm very excited because if nothing else, every game will be an opportunity to learn something about this team. Mm-hmm. Um, last question, I think, unless we start delving into the pizza rankings that we did at work during the draft. Um, I wasn't there. So. <laughs> Apache Drought wants to know if Lewis is even guaranteed a roster spot. I'm going to say Trevor Lewis is not guaranteed a roster spot, but he can see it from his house. I'd, I'd have a hard time seeing him not on Same. it. But yeah, I guess... Anyone on the fourth line is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's probably a good way to put it. Like It's 99. I highly anticipate seeing him yeah. on the roster, even if maybe he's not in the opening night lineup. You could see that. But a hard time believing he isn't on the on the Kings team on opening night. Yeah, same. All right, we've been at this a lot longer than I thought we were going to be. Yeah. Um, I appreciate everybody listening live. Again, I have been recording this. It'll be available tomorrow if you weren't able to catch all of it. Zach Dooley, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And we will be doing this again tomorrow. 
after the uh, scrimmage for everybody listening. Um, hopefully, we'll have Jim Fox joining us, and we'll have an extra day's worth of uh, camp to have watched. So, thanks very much, and we'll talk to you soon.